Welcome to the Strange and Interesting Podcast, a podcast about folklore, the paranormal, urban legends, and pretty much anything else that I happen to find strange and interesting. I am your host, Al. Today we will be discussing a topic I am fascinated by, and that is the backrooms and why, in my opinion, it can be considered a work of modern folklore. For those who are wondering what I am talking about, this is the paragraph that introduced the world to the back rooms. If you're not careful and no clip out of reality in wrong areas, you'll end up in the back rooms, where it's nothing but the stink of moist carpet, the madness of mono yellow, and the endless background noise of fluorescent lights at maximum hum buzz and approximately 600 million square miles of randomly segmented empty rooms to be trapped in. God save you if you hear something wandering around nearby because it sure as hell has heard you. This paragraph is associated with a picture of what appears to be an abandoned office with tan carpet, yellow wallpaper, and harsh lights. Whether this place actually exists or is a digital manipulation is not known. The original photo that inspired the backrooms appeared April 21, 2018 on a 4chan website in a thread about cursed images. Over one year later, on May 12, 2019, a 4chan user invited others to post images of places that felt unsettling. Two days later, another anonymous user posted the above paragraph that described it as the back rooms. I remember when I first learned about the backrooms. Back in 2019, I was running a session of Strange Things Afoot, a role-playing game I wrote that draws inspiration from creepypasta and urban legends. The adventure led the players to an underground complex of concrete walls and flickering fluorescent lights. One of my players commented that the place I was describing reminded him of the back rooms. At the time, I had no idea what this was, so he explained it to me. I was intrigued, and when I got home, I looked up the term on YouTube, and the first video I saw was by a content creator named Fright Night. The concept gave me an idea for an adventure that I would later write and publish called The Yellow Maze. Since that time, the backrooms have become more than a creepy picture accompanied by a few sentences. There have been many YouTube videos and several video games based on the backrooms. Not to toot my own horn, but my friend and former podcasting co-host Chad Knight and I even wrote a tabletop role-playing game called Caught in the Backrooms based on this place. Honestly, 
it wouldn't surprise me if someday there is an attempt by a large studio to make a full-length movie about the backrooms, which, of course, the fan base will hate. I've already discussed the definition of folklore, but it never hurts to review. According to the American Folklore Society, folklore is our cultural DNA. It includes the art, stories, knowledge, and practices of a people. While folklore can be bound up in memory and histories, folklore is also tied to vibrant living traditions and creative expression today. So folklore is not static and it can evolve as the people who create it evolve. As new groups form in society, new folklore can arise as well. Back in my episode on Paul Bunyan, I mentioned a folklorist named Shira Chess. She noted that there are three aspects present in folklore, collectivity, variability, and performance. First, collectivity is the tendency of folklore to be developed by a group as opposed to an individual. A single person might come up with a story or style of art, but over time, others will expand upon the original idea. Variability is the tendency for an aspect of folklore to have variations. These variations can be due to regional differences, cultural adaptations, or changing technology. Finally, Performance is the ability of a narrator to modify the telling of a piece of folklore based on the audience and their reactions. To go back to the Paul Bunyan episode again, one of the men I quoted, Henry H. Tryon, explained how lumberjacks would create stories of imaginary monsters as a form of entertainment and a way to play a joke on novice lumberjacks. It might go something like this. Imagine a group of veteran lumberjacks sitting around a campfire with a couple of new lumberjacks. Sam, one of the experienced lumberjacks, might start by telling the newbies of a strange creature he saw in the woods and claim it had teeth six inches long. Charlie might interject that the teeth were actually closer to 12 inches in length. Sam might then correct himself and go on to tell of how he witnessed the beast take down a bear. John might then add how the creature had claws that were larger than butcher knives and smelled like Walter's unwashed socks. Of course, Walter might then reply that his unwashed socks may stink but they stink nowhere nearly as much as the outhouse does when John gets done in there. After a collective chuckle between the experienced lumberjacks, Sam might continue his story. As we shift back to the topic at hand, we will see that all three of these characteristics apply to the backrooms. I have heard the occasional commentator refer to the backrooms as an urban legend, though in my opinion, this is not really an accurate comparison. 
urban legends are stories that get passed around through emails, websites, and word of mouth. These tales can be presented as if they are true, and sometimes the legend does indeed turn out to be at least partly rooted in fact. More often than not, though, an urban legend is exaggerated or a complete fabrication. Sometimes the author of an urban legend can be identified. Other times, we only know approximately when the legend first appeared. On the other hand, a creepypasta is almost always approached as a work of fiction. There are rare occasions when an individual will mistake a creepypasta for a real thing, but this is not a common occurrence. In most cases, the author of the creepypasta is known, even if it is under a pen name. In the case of the backrooms, it is like a creepypasta because we know where it came from and when it first appeared. Like an urban legend, we don't know who came up with the paragraph describing the backrooms. And, like folklore, the development of the backrooms has been collaborative. The original post only described the backrooms as being 600 million square miles of randomly segmented rooms. Much of the lore about the backrooms has been expanded upon in forum posts, on wiki sites, and through YouTube videos. Fans of the backrooms have come up with a variety of life forms, items, and levels for this realm. We do not know if the original author intended for the backrooms to have these things, or if they were only envisioning a massive and seemingly endless maze of empty rooms. Since the backrooms are a modern myth, we can trace how it has developed over the few years it has been around. Before the backrooms became popular, there were liminal spaces. And in fact, many fans like to describe the backrooms as a liminal space. The term liminal space has its roots in a phenomenon called liminality, which comes from the Latin word limen, meaning threshold. Liminality is described as the feeling of disorientation that occurs during a rite of passage. At the start of the ritual, the participant is no longer among the ranks of the uninitiated, though they have not quite transitioned into the ranks of the initiated. During this time, the initiate exists in an in-between state, of being part of neither group. On a mundane level, there are physical and emotional liminal spaces. Both are places of transition. An emotional liminal space is defined as a dramatic but temporary change such as unemployment, adjusting to life after a divorce, or going off to college. A physical liminal space is usually described as a place that gets you from point A to point B and serves little purpose beyond that. Hallways and staircases are good examples of 
liminal spaces that you can encounter on an everyday basis. You don't spend a great deal of time in these places, only enough time to get you somewhere else. Airports and hotels also have been used as examples of a liminal space. Airports and hotels have also been used as examples of a liminal space. You only visit an airport to get to your destination or perhaps pick up someone who's just arrived at their destination. And when you stay at a hotel, you only stay there for a limited time. It is not a permanent residence. There is something about the aesthetics of these liminal spaces that caught on. Not every picture of a hallway or airport will prove to be noteworthy, but there is something about these places, when they are empty, that really hit an emotional note with forum users. An empty airport is out of the ordinary because we are accustomed to seeing these places as full of people and buzzing with activity. The same can be said of an empty school classroom or playground. These places should not be empty, but rather occupied by children. There is also a genre called Dead Mall, which features images of shopping malls that have been either abandoned or that have almost as many vacant stores as they do active ones. This interest in liminal spaces led to the development of a wiki site known as the Liminal Archives. This site is described as an archive of places that shouldn't exist. The backrooms are included within the archives under the name The Backroom System. Exactly when the backrooms as we know it exploded in popularity depends on who you ask, but Google Trends does show two major spikes. The first started in March and April of 2020. Perhaps this is not surprising because around that time, COVID lockdowns started to come into effect and seeing empty office buildings and deserted shopping malls were relatable to people. These images, though creepy, could also be strangely comforting. Perhaps because in a small way, they could remind us of places we went to before the pandemic forced them to shut down. The second major spike occurred in January of 2022 after a YouTuber, Kane Pixels, released the first in a series of found footage style videos. The backrooms were eventually split into three levels. The original image that inspired the backrooms became known as Level Zero, also called the Lobby. Level 1 became known as the Habitable Zone. This level resembles a seemingly infinite warehouse. Finally, Level 2 became known as Pipe Dreams and is an ongoing maintenance corridor lined with pipes that could get dangerously hot. In some circles, this is referred to as the three-layer model. Before long, the backroom started to develop a fan base. The first backrooms wiki was created on fandom.com 
in 2019 by a user named CCC City. This forum gave users the opportunity to add their input to this new setting. For a time, things were good. Users developed additional levels as well as special items and dangerous entities. Sadly, it would not last. This is the internet after all, so it was inevitable that some bad actors would come in and ruin the fun. Pages were vandalized and users submitted horribly written levels, leading to a split in the community. User Andrew W99 set up a new backrooms wiki on wiki.com with the intent to create a better curated wiki with more oversight and moderation. This new wiki would come to be called the official wiki by many backrooms fans for the attempt to clean up the Wild West mentality that took over the first site. Many ideas from the original wiki were refined and expanded upon. This did lead to another split in the community, with some people referring to other fans as either originalists or expansionists. As far as I can tell, originalists prefer keeping the backrooms as simple as possible, believing that a single, never-ending maze devoid of creatures is far more frightening and truer to what the vision of the unknown 4chan user may have been. The expansionists prefer growing the idea of the backrooms with additional levels, creatures, and organizations. Expansionists tend to take on a more conventional horror approach as opposed to the environmental horror approach of the originalist. This can include creating levels full of fear-invoking elements and terrifying entities. As previously mentioned, one of the biggest boosts to the popularity of the backrooms came with Kane Pixel's found footage series. His videos take an analog horror approach. Analog horror is a genre where the horror usually unfolds in the second person. We are not seeing the story through the eyes of a character, but rather through media such as video or audio. The most prominent example of analog horror is the YouTube channel Local 58, which takes the form of a series of old television broadcasts. This style best describes Kane Pixel's work as the story is told through a combination of found footage recorded by people trapped in the back rooms and security camera footage. Kane's series uses a science fiction approach to explain the back rooms, which is unusual because most other interpretations of the back rooms before this usually did not touch upon the origins of the backrooms. We don't know who was believed to have created them and for what purpose. And to some extent, I think that's for the best because it makes it more scary and more mysterious that way. In the Kane Pixel series, a company called Async 
creates a portal that can access an extra-dimensional space. The company's intent is to use this place as a solution to overcrowding. One of the videos is done in an infomercial style that promises turning the backrooms into storage space as well as building commercial and residential areas. Whether Async created this place or merely discovered it has not been explained, at least to my knowledge. It is possible to travel back and forth between Kane's backrooms and our reality, something that has not been established to be possible in other versions of the backrooms. Another interesting interpretation of the backrooms I have seen is that all the various levels fans have come up with can be seen as merely different points in the same place as opposed to separate worlds. While I prefer interpreting different backrooms levels as separate but connected worlds, I like this approach because it makes it unnecessary to reconcile differences between the original fandom wiki and the wiki.wiki. Finally, there are other sources, such as the occasional post on sites like Reddit or Creepypasta Wiki, where people have their own ideas about the backrooms that may or may not be connected to some of the major models we just talked about. In any case, one of the nice things about the backrooms is, since there is no official canon, a person who wants to create a game, media, or writing based on the backrooms is welcome to use any of these sources however they wish. With the exception of Kane Pixel's interpretation of the backrooms, there are several common elements found throughout backrooms lore. First, a person gets there by no-clipping. This is a term from video games that describes what happens when a character fails to stay within the boundaries of the game. This causes the player to end up someplace the designers did not intend them to be. In Backrooms lore, this is a random occurrence that cannot be predicted or prepared for. In theory, a person can get out of bed one morning, fail to make contact with the floor, and then find themselves in the backrooms with nothing but their pajamas. There is something about the backrooms that drains one's sanity. Those who succumb to sanity loss transform into a creature called an insanity on the fandom wiki, though this was changed to wretch on the wiki.wiki. In order to avoid this fate, a person stranded in the backrooms needs to consume a drink called almond water. This resource not only maintains sanity, but can also be used to treat injuries. The backrooms are not entirely empty as some people claim. Users have come up with a variety of entities, with one of the most common being the Faceling. This creature is humanoid in appearance and, like the Slender Man, lacks facial features. There are also floating faces called Smilers, large humanoids called Skin Stealers, and unusual creatures called 
partygoers. The Kane Pixels version of the Backrooms is far less populated, featuring only a creature called the Bacteria. Another common fixture of Backrooms lore are the various groups and organizations found in this realm. The most famous are the MEG and the BNTG. MEG is short for Major Explorer Group, an organization that seeks to map the backrooms and assist survivors. BNTG is short for Backrooms Non-Aligned Trade Group and is an organization dedicated to trade and commerce. Another well-known group is called the Followers of Jerry. This organization worships an entity called Jerry. He looks like a blue parrot, but has the ability to control people he comes in contact with, forcing them to worship him like a god. Then there are the levels. The official wiki site has over 200 normal levels. Things get a bit more complex from there. There are also sub-levels, which fall somewhere between normal levels, and enigmatic levels that have very unusual properties. Some users have even created joke levels, which, as the name implies, should not be taken seriously. One of my favorite joke levels is called Mild Hell. This level looks like a college campus, but while on this level, you will be subject to random annoyances. For example, anytime you use a pencil, it will break. Most of the time when you pick up a pen, it will be empty or run out of ink after writing a few words. And no matter what steps you take, when you go to bed, you'll always be uncomfortable and fail to get a good night's sleep. Fans even have a term they coined to describe anything that reminds them of the backrooms, and that is the backrooms vibe. As far as I know, there is no universally accepted definition for what this term means, but I have seen it applied to photos, video games, movies, TV shows, and music. Media that has been labeled as having the backrooms vibe often invokes feelings of unease and loneliness. Despite this, images with the vibe can also invoke a feeling of nostalgia. My go-to example would be a picture of an old, dimly lit arcade. You don't see as many of these establishments anymore, but there used to be a time when nearly every shopping mall had a darkened room full of video games. I grew up when arcades were at the peak of their popularity, so for me, an image of one of these places would fill me with a feeling of comfortable nostalgia. Another term on internet forums by Backrooms aficionados is oddly familiar. This term is usually applied to images as opposed to movies, video games, or music. Oddly familiar is used to describe places that the poster knows he has never been to, 
yet seem just similar enough that they can connect the visual image to some place they have been. Most of the time, I have seen this term applied to images of public spaces like empty hallways and shopping malls. I think this comparison makes sense because these are places that are relatable to most people. Not all of us have seen what the inside of a factory looks like, but most of us can relate to an image of a deserted school hallway. But no matter which term one prefers, the backrooms vibe or oddly familiar, I think the idea behind both expressions is very similar. It is an expression of something that produces feelings of nostalgia. Yet at the same time, also can make you feel a little bit uneasy or uncomfortable. So why are the backrooms like folklore? As we have seen, the idea has not remained static. It went from being a single image accompanied by a paragraph to a phenomenon that has inspired music, videos, and games. The evolution is not due to the work of one person, but rather a community of people, some known and others anonymous. The backrooms themselves have gone through changes as well, going from a single level to multiple levels. The website encyclopedia.com has an article discussing modern mythology. There is a paragraph from that article that I think applies to the backrooms. Like all myths and legends, modern mythology springs from a sense of life's wonder, excitement, mystery, and terror. Modern legends offer images of the best and worst aspects of the human condition. They suggest that good behavior will be rewarded and evil, greedy, or foolish behavior punished. Some modern legends reflect people's fear of rapid social change or of science and technology. Others appeal to their desire to find meaningful patterns beneath the confusing chaos of ordinary life. The backrooms, or at least the original concept of a single endless maze, can represent the fear of being forgotten, whether it is by one's family, friends, or society as a whole. The last sentence of the paragraph does provide something of a paradox, though. The thought of being stuck in a maze that resembles an old office building doesn't really invoke confusion or chaos, at least not initially. I would argue that rather it invokes a feeling of monotony. It is the daily grind where nothing ever changes. This observation comes from a guy who knows what it feels like to work a job you truly hate. There is nothing to look forward to. Just the feeling of oppressive frustration that comes from an unchanging situation. So where will this all go? There may very well come a day when the backrooms are forgotten by most. People then might look back at this setting like people 
nowadays look back at an obscure television show from the 1960s, 70s, or 80s. Perhaps that day will come. Perhaps it will not. But until next time, everyone, stay strange and stay interesting. You have been listening to a presentation of Point of Insanity Game Studio. Visit us on the web at POIGameStudio.com. Follow us on Twitter at POIGameStudio. Look us up on Facebook and email us at POIGameStudio at gmail.com.